my captain. Uh, my name is Mark Olver. I am here with the magnificent Ricky Masindo. How are you? I am good, Mark. I am good. I am enjoying following your journey around the country <laughs> as you are at yet another location looking as tired as always. Is this the third? I think this is the third different Mark Olver on the road uh, we've done in a row, I think. Yeah, yeah, it is, it is. It's like And actually, it like... might even be more than that because I think we're going to be doing one next week that will go out before this one. And yeah. so, anyway, it's all over the place yeah. ever so slightly, but the constant theme is that Mark Olver is not at home. That's all you need to know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Based on my sound quality, uh, full disclosure, again, uh, like I said, this is going to be out in a different order, but we are recording this on the, what date is it today? The 8th of July, the day after England got to uh, the final of the Euros, which I watched in a TV studio. And then I left that TV studio at 11 p.m. And then I drove up to Manchester um, where I've been awake since. So that I got into bed at like four, three or four, and then have been up since eight. So, um so that is where we are. That is where my voice is. Um, I'm currently in uh, Media City in Manchester. Um, you know all about Manchester now, right? I do, I do. I, I, yeah, I'm like the mayor of Manchester now. <laughs> but I'm not actually in Manchester. I'm in Salford, which is mm. the city in its own right. Everyone in Salford will always, always tell you that. <laughs> That's how you know it's a city in its own right when everyone feels like they need to defend that. A hundred percent. Is Bedford a city? Ah, Bedford's barely a town. I mean, it's oh, like, okay. <laughs> I mean, it is, I mean, it's massive. I mean, it's got like a population of like 200,000, but it's just a collection of people who reluctantly live next to each other. Oh, okay. Oh, that's that sounds lovely. I like that line as well, actually. You, you definitely uh, write that down. Remember that a, a collection <laughs> of people who reluctantly live next to each other. Yeah. Um, have you? Have you done a gig since I spoke to you? Have you I spoke yeah. to you on... No, I haven't. I haven't. I'm doing one on Monday. This is so weird because time is going to be so messed up because this is going to come out before, after two, two episodes after the one we've just recorded. So I just wanted to mess up with the audience even more. Um, by the time this comes out, we'll know whether or not England has won the Euros. So it's coming home or... We were cheated. Whichever one you want, that works the best. Yeah, oh, God, that is a good point, isn't it? Yes, because I've still got the glow of semi-final victory, but by the time this goes out, my glow of semi-final victory will be seen as hubris. Exactly. (laughs) will be seen as the vinegar strokes before the ejaculation (laughs) of the final. So maybe... So maybe we shouldn't talk about football. Maybe we shouldn't talk about where I am. We, we shouldn't even. We can't even talk about comedy in terms of gigs and stuff. Um, we can talk about the fact that I don't know if you can hear the sound of air conditioning behind me uh, yeah. because I'm in a conference room 
that I've been given. There's loud air con. There's quite a loud fridge. Um, but I've got beautiful sun. And it's a... What's the matter? Yeah. Are you laughing at my loud fridge? No, I just, I just love I just love the content. Now we're just talking about the background noise. Well, I can also talk about... I mean, if you want to get into it, I'm quite high up and I can see... Uh, I can see people uh, throwing balls for their dogs. And frankly, it is adorable. But life on the road. Let's talk. Yeah. Before we join by our guest today, we're doing a reading list today um, with the amazing Neil Delamere, which is one of the reasons why this is, uh, this is the Christopher Nolan approach to chronology uh, mm. for this podcast. This is like tenet or memento. It's all yeah. over the place slightly. Um, but let's talk, seeing that I am on the road, Let's talk about being on the road. Like, yeah. you've not actually, you've travelled away for gigs. You've been down to Exeter and you've done other gigs, but you've not, like, you've not done the hotel life of a stand-up no. comedian yet, have you? No, no, I've travelled a few places, travelled around the home counties, travelled to London, to Brighton, to Exeter, but I've never been somewhere and stayed there for the night. I'm trying to... But, okay, let's do this. Um... You check into a hotel. They tell you what time breakfast is. You get into that hotel at 2 a.m. because you've just done a gig and maybe you've driven to a hotel or maybe you've been out with friends. You check into the hotel at 2 a.m. They say to you, breakfast finishes at half past nine. Mm -hmm. What do you do? Do you set your alarm to get breakfast or do you sleep through breakfast? Oh, that's a tough one. I think I set my alarm for nine and then I make the decision then and there. But really, it depends what they're offering on the breakfast because breakfast is a very, very like multi-interpreted meal. That could mean anything from cereal to omelets to like pancakes. So it's like, it depends what they're saying. I would ask further questions essentially. So I need more information to answer the question. You're asking questions about what is ha what you're having for breakfast. At yeah. 2 a.m. in the morning when you want to go to bed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've got to plan my life. I've got to plan my life because I'm getting up for pancakes. I'm getting up for pancakes. Let's not mess around. But I'm not getting up for like frosted flakes by Sainsbury's and warm milk. So it depends what they're offering. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, no, I'm absolutely happy with that. Are you going straight to bed after your gig or... Are you uh, are you reading? Are you watching TV? Uh, what's the uh, what's the plan? I am staying up and rewatching my set, and then watching other comedians do their stand up and comparing my stand up to theirs, and being like, "Oh God, that was shit." Then having an existential crisis, but then uh, about an hour earlier, it all comes together, and I was like, "Oh, you know, actually, that was all right." And then I go to bed. Are you? Uh, this is good content. I like this content. Are you, uh, if you've got a bath and a shower in the room, are yeah. you showering or having a bath before you go to bed? Ooh, that's a tough one. It depends how sweaty the gig was, but I'm a man who likes to always appreciate a good bathtub. So if there's a bathtub, I'm getting in. I'm getting are in. Are you a bather? Are you a little bath I am, boy? I am a bath <laughs> bitch yeah <laughs> i am a bath bitch if there's a bath i will take it even if i'm clean i just like the feeling of being submerged in warm water um bubbles 
that's a tough question. See, it depends on the type of bubbles because bubble baths are oh, overrated. Jesus fuck! <laughs> bubble baths. You are, are overrated. Like, you are so fussy. What is? <laughs> what is? What is it? What is for breakfast? I'll make my decision. Will I have a bubble bath? Oh, I'm going to have a look and see what bubbles there is in the bath. Jesus Christ, Lucindo. Yeah. See, a bubble bath does not mean a jacuzzi. That is a common misconception. A bubble bath just means you're sitting in hot water with bubbles. And that's not that fun unless you're four. So if you have like, you know, the jets and stuff like that, then I'm up for that. I'm up for the bubbles in motion, but not the stationary bubbles. Yeah, I've clearly thought about this a lot because you're not the first person to ask me this question. <laughs> um, Can we talk... Uh, because again, I, I like to use this uh, this podcast for my uh, my own education as well. Can we talk the skin of the black man? Because oh. um, white people, we don't realise the moisturising that often happens uh, with black skin. Are you a moisturiser? Are you looking? Um, <laughs> Neil Delamere has just popped in. Hi, Neil. Hi, Neil. Hello. Um, you've come in halfway through the podcast. Um, we are joined by Neil Bellamy. You've come in at a slightly awkward moment where I'm asking Ricky about his skincare routine because I mm. understand that caring for black skin is different from caring for white skin. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah. I would have really, really would have liked to have seen how you posed that question, Mark. <laughs> Can we talk about the black skin? <laughs> <laughs> That is, that is pretty much. I did use the phrase black skin, which does make me sound like a serial killer. I'm fully aware. <laughs> could could we could we ensure that this is actually the first podcast that is dropped rather than all the other podcasts? So people don't know you, don't know your relationship. <laughs> and the first question straight off the bat is that question. We start a new podcast. It's called Black Skin Question Mark. Um now, okay, before uh before I, I get into trouble and get cancelled, Ricky, this is not a stupid question, is it? Do your white friends no, always not, get slightly not, surprised always, when um, they realise, and I'm guessing that you have a skincare regime? Uh, yeah, people people ask me about well, how I take care of my skin. And when people say that black don't crack, black don't crack for a reason. And that's because of the skincare regime. Like there's like the uh, moisturisers, there's the washes. Is Mark gone? I think Mark is gone. <laughs> Mark, Mark doesn't want to hear anything about your skincare. He merely no, asked the question. He's asking the question to be polite. <laughs> He's a terrible, terrible man. He's a terrible man. No, I'm here. I've turned my video off to try and make my signal a little bit better. You know what? I'm keeping this in the podcast. I want people to see what the frustration of working with Mark Oliver. <laughs> But also, not just the frustration of working Mark Olver, the fact that working with Mark Olver, I am asking these these questions that people... I, I'm going to say right now, a lot of white people don't know that a lot of black people have a different uh, a different skincare regime. 
No, they don't. They don't. Like, so you have to, when you come out, because what happens to black skin is when it's like, when it's hot, it's like, I think it happens to all skin. Like just particles will just fall on it and it'll get like ashy. But if you have light skin, you can't see it. But if you have dark skin, you can. So you essentially need to have like moisturizer and like for your face, like an exfoliator to get and to get all those pores like nice and clean. And um, the main thing is just having a good moisturizer because otherwise you'll have ashy skin. And if you have ashy skin, oh, that is like a no-no in the black community. Did you know all this deal, Delamere? Uh, I did, actually. And the reason I did is through the medium of comedy. I think Bill Burr has a routine about it. But up until that point, I'm afraid I was pretty ignorant about the whole thing. I really like it when uh, comedians learn stuff about the world from comedy. (laughs) 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 Um, My uh, my lodger and magnificent comedian Matt Ewings knows nothing about uh, politics or football. Uh, He learns everything from uh, the news show, the now show, have I got news for you? (laughs) That's literally how he keeps up with the world's events. So was he surprised then when one of the former hosts of have I got news for you became the prime minister? That must've been a massive shock to him. (laughs) Does he he think Angus Deat is going to be the next Pope? I'd I'd love to work (laughs) in that situation. Yeah, I, I think we can probably write off Angus Dayton for Pope. Um, <laughs> uh, thank you uh, for joining. You and me, you and Ricky have met not in real life, but you've met on uh, on Who Said That, the panel show that um, I did stroke do stroke. Hopefully, we'll do again in the future. Yeah, it was great, great fun. It, this, by the way, this is slightly weird that I can see Ricky. He can see me. We can't see you because, as you've said, you've turned off your video because you want to preserve your signal. So it does feel a little bit like me and Ricky are haunted by the ghost yeah. of Mark Oliver. Because <laughs> just this disembodied voice comes in every so often asking questions about comedy. It's like a fever dream I've had, to be honest. What's also quite exciting is because I am trying to conserve my signal, um, I've got my headphones on, so my sound is already quite bad. I am a little bit tempted to walk around and walk <laughs> away from uh, from the iPad. There's even some sofas here. I might even lay on the sofa uh, while doing this. He's gone uh, full Wolf of Wall Street. He's got up. He's gone. <laughs> He, this, his picture's going to come back on at the end and be, he'll be in red braces like Gordon Gecko <laughs> with a massive mobile phone going sell, just sell, sell it all. <laughs> yes, blowing, blowing, blowing cocaine up people's assholes. Uh, that is, uh, that's the Wolf of Wall Street, right? Tell me I've not made that up. I, I, I think so. I, mean, I'm not, I don't know. I don't know enough to correct you. <laughs> it, the only thing I know about The Wolf of Wall Street is that it, ha- it is the film that has the most uh, bad language, most curses of any film ever made, as far as you know. Ah. Uh, yes, no, I absolutely, uh, I think you're right. I really like that film, but it's long. It's too long. Um, yeah. Talking of things being too long, we should probably get into the podcast properly. We've already covered uh, black skin, cocaine in assholes, uh, and uh, Mark Olver strolling about. Um, Neil, you are on today as the librarian so yes. uh you are so i'm the inspirational teacher um and you are the place that ricky goes to get away from the inspirational teacher and just to have a little uh little relaxing time chatting to his friendly librarian um and when i asked you to do this 
And yeah. I said to you, uh, so we get the librarian. The librarian is often like a, a comedy nerd, a comedy geek. And I think you said to me, I'm not as much of a comedy geek, a nerd, as you might imagine I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I, I don't know that, that when you say it back to me, it just sound like a sentence replete with uh, various different levels of meaning. Doesn't it? <laughs> I, I think, I think I, I don't watch as much comedy as I used to, I suppose, because when I go and I try and switch off, I watch stuff that's like the Sopranos or get shorty or something like that. But, um, I suppose just by dint of doing this for this long, you see people at various different gigs and you come across things that other people recommend as well. So I think I have an, enough books in my library that I can give some degree of, uh, inspirational reading list to Ricky. Were you a consumer of comedy? Like, did you love comedy from a young age? Yeah, I did. I loved comedy from... Uh, see, when I started when I started kind of watching comedy, there was no comedy on TV, really. There used to be the stand-up show. I don't know if you remember that on BBC, but you, this is before, you know, Paramount or Comedy Central or anything like that. And you, you didn't get the same level of choice that you have now. So BBC stand-up show, which was hosted by Tommy Tiernan and hosted by Ardell O'Hanlon at one point, and it kind of... Mid, uh, mid to late 90s. That was where I kind of first discovered stand-up really and it really kind of spoke to me. But before that, I used to watch Cheers, used to watch MASH, used to watch uh, any any sitcom that you could see basically on British TV or Irish TV, like Blackadder and all that sort of stuff. So I loved all that. But the idea that you could go out and be a stand-up or stand-up was a job um, because there wasn't a theatre in my town, but I suppose didn't really come into my head until I saw Tommy and Ardell do that show because they are culties, which is an Irish term for somebody outside Dublin. They look like mm. me, they sound like me. And you go, oh, that's kind of interesting. And a little thing settled in my head. But as you as you do more stand-up, I suppose you kind of think, you know, you can get too into it. So you, you, you don't watch as much of it as you used to. And you also, you can see the strings as well. So you kind of mm. get a little bit more, um, oh, I can see how they did that. But the other side of that is that when you see someone and you can't see the strings, you appreciate it more. And you're like, that is absolute genius. Mm, yes, no, I get that. Are you are you a culture yourself? Are you from Dublin? Are you from? No, I'm a cult a culture. Yeah, I'm um, from outside of Dublin. I'm from uh, about kind of forty miles yeah, in the middle of nowhere, basically. Yeah, the bogs. <laughs> and I, I only did I only did uh, stand up the first time when I went to Dublin. Uh, my first ever gig was I was in college and I saw Dear Joe Kane, Eddie Bannon, and Dara O'Brien doing a college gig, and I was like, Ooh. I'd like to try that. <laughs> yeah um, Ricky one of the, the points of uh, the reading list and the librarian is to to introduce people to comedians that they don't necessarily know of the names that Neil has already mentioned who 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 have you heard of and who have you mm. actively listened to from that list so far well I mean apart from the obvious ones like Cheers because uh, you know that's a massive sitcom um Dario Brian, obviously, because you just can't get away from him. But that's probably the only one that, like, I actively have sought out and listened to their stuff from the list you just said. Oh, well, this is exciting. So let's, I mean, let's dig in. And the, the reason, because I wanted to talk to Neil partly about uh, comedy in all sides, but also Irish comedy, partly because one of my top three, one of my, I would say the GOAT for me would be Tommy Tiernan. Um, well, he is number one on the reading list. <laughs> <laughs> um, wh- why? 
I mean, there's so much to talk about with Tommy, but for well, you, why? For me, because uh, if I can be as pretentious as you're going to allow me to be. Please uh, do. I have Jeez. only seen. I'm going to switch off my video. And when you when when I turn it back on, I'll be dressed like Marcel Leconte. I'll be <laughs> I'll be in. I'll be smoking a cigarette with a like red wine in one hand and a, and a polo neck. Well, if I could discuss this, Sartre said that the Frog and Bucket <laughs> was the best Manchester club ever. Um, <laughs> I think for me, I've only ever seen a kind of art. You know, people talk about comedy being art. Listen, I don't think it is art a lot of the time. I think most things are not art when they're that purport to be art a lot of the time. But of the two of the two or three times I've seen it become kind of almost like art. And by that, I mean a connection between the performer and the audience that is almost emotional. Like two or three of those times were Tommy. And I remember I was watching him once at um, the Kilkenny Comedy Festival which is this festival that comedians love because it's not like Edinburgh. It's not like, uh, you know, you do your hour show. It's 20 yeah. minute bits. There's an MC. Comedians love it because there's, there are no reviews. There's no pressure. We kind of get to enjoy ourselves. And um, Tommy goes on at the end of this show and he starts and all the comics are at the back and it's midnight and I'm standing beside like Daniel Kitson and, um, various other comedians and Tommy starts just talking about going, I used to love the songs that we used to sing at mass when I was a kid or something. I think it was like that. And he just starts singing a song and 400 people started singing the song with him. 400 people at midnight, fairly the worst for wear are singing a hymn from their childhood unbidden. And, and I can, Kitson looks at me and I like, I don't know. I, I was like, I think it's pretty much always like this. He just has this connection <laughs> With people and with Irish people, I think in particular, that seems to be second to none and they're they're on the same wavelength. So that's one of the reasons I think he's he's brilliant. There are more which we can get into. Oh, please do. I mean, I uh, I want I, to. I love Tiernan. I love Tommy Tiernan. I think he is the brilliant mix of he can smash an hour and be really interesting over an hour. Uh, and be one of the best people that you will see do a show, whether it's a touring show or whether it's a special. But he will also be the best person, if he wants to be, the best person in a club gig over 20 minutes. And and he's got both of those. Yeah, you've talked about on the show before about people who can do the late night club and, you know, a lot of the time that phrase, oh, they're an Edinburgh comedian and they're a Mm. club comedian. He proves that he's like the Beatles. Just because you're mainstream and you can do a massive room doesn't mean that you're not brilliant. So he can, he can do it all. I think one of the things I like about him is that he's quite brave as well. And I think that comes from somebody who probably mastered the form fairly early. And um, mm. so if you look at some of the experimental stuff he's done, like he has done kind of, he has done a DVD, which is a lovely DVD where he's outside in gardens and there's no real stage and people are sitting outside long before COVID. So it seems kind of as if he saw into the future. He, he did a show. He currently has a chat show on Irish TV, which is he doesn't know who the guest is before they're brought out. So they're just brought out. Sometimes he knows them. Sometimes he does not know them. And he has to find a way to ask them who they are. Um, and if you thought, is there a black skincare regime is an awkward question. <laughs> <laughs> On live television where you don't know somebody, but maybe you should know them, but you, maybe you shouldn't. That's a different kettle of fish. He did a show and he allowed it to be filmed for TV. That was, um, he improvised from start to finish and not improvised from audience suggestions. He just started. 
you know, and you could say that it went well. You could say it wasn't a success. But the point is, you know, 10 years, 20 years into his comedy career, he was willing to lay it on the line because I think he has so much goodwill and probably self-belief in the bank, you know? Um, did you know, before you gigged with him for the first time, mm. had you seen mm. him quite a lot? Because didn't he, he won yeah. the... The Edinburgh, the Perrier in, I might say, 96. Yeah. Or, yeah, 96, 97, I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I. Uh... You're sorry, no, I had seen, I'd say I'd seen him loads, yeah, before, before I gigged him. And the first time I gigged with him, he said to me, I, I don't know, it was early 20s, and he said, uh, Oh, I really like that bit. And I walked away, and he walked away, and I was, of course, ecstatic, absolutely <laughs> ecstatic. I've never, I've never told him this, I'd be far too embarrassed. But I was like driving home, going, He likes a bit. He likes a bit. <laughs> You know, in a petrol station at midnight with some guy looking at me going, so that's one thing I probably think you need to remember when you become absolutely massive. The little little line that you say to the next guy coming up, Ricky, is the thing that makes their their heart sing, you know, so never underestimate your influence on somebody else. And Mark will have had the same thing said to him. And you, you, it's a throwaway comment, but it's just amazing to hear it. You know, it's so encouraging from somebody. The Irish scene, to me, feels like it was huge. Like, it felt almost like uh, mid-90s. Barber Ted was on. Um, Ardo O'Hanlon was in Barber Ted. Uh, and lots of those other Irish comics. I mean, Tommy is in Barber Ted for, you know, a scene in Barber Ted. And there's a few other Irish comics in it. Like, when you... So how old were you in the mid-90s? And did it feel... Yeah, did it feel like a scene? Uh, no, that kind of... I wasn't really aware of that. Mid-90s, I was only a teenager, so I was not really aware of that happening. But I think we... It, it has gone through phases. So, like, if you think about that Irish scene, that's an Irish scene set in Britain, you know? So yeah. that's not necessarily reflective of what's going on in the Republic. Mm. So I think the golden age of, of, of terms of live people, so people who are who could go to gigs, who could fill out theatres and stuff, actually coincided with the boom. There's, I have a theory that if you've a, if you've a small country, right, um, a lot of the time there's different thing, psychological things at play. When we became quite wealthy during the boom, everything everything took off, living standards uh, rocketed, and this there was this confidence that our bands and our, our musicians and our comedians were as good as anybody else. Mm. And we start making our own TV. So if you look at kind of 2002, 2003 to maybe 2008 or nine, um, you had the panel with Dara O'Brien, Colin Murphy, me, Andrew Maxwell. You had PJ Gallagher, um, Maeve Higgins from a Naked Camera show. Um, you had Des Bishop became famous at that point uh, from his work experience things. You had Carl Spain. And um, so that was probably the golden age in terms of Irish comedians starting in Ireland and not having to go anywhere else because um, Irish audiences wanted to hear Irish people, really, you know. Tommy has always kind of transcended a lot of that. Ardell became famous. Ardell went to the UK because there wasn't much of a circuit in Ireland, became really famous, is a brilliant stand-up. And he's next on the reading list because you should go and see him because he's not Dougal and he's not uh, my hero. He is a brilliant stand-up in his own right. Um but they had to go in, in previous years because there wasn't as much here. It was kind of 2002 for a few years. You, you could stay here, you could develop here, uh, and uh, you didn't necessarily have to go to the UK, you know? Um, 
we'll get onto Ardo in a minute because the one that I often put in with uh, Tommy Tiernan, um, and again, I want to do episodes of this where I watch Ricky listen or watch Tommy Tiernan for the first time because mm. I, like, I want to be there because I genuinely think Ricky will be, like everyone will just be blown away by him. Um, the one I always put in with Tommy because I think they were on the Perrier next to each other was Dylan Moran. Yeah. Um, who I think we can sometimes in the UK forget about because he doesn't do loads and loads anymore and is maybe known because Black Books was such a big hit. Did you? Has he got the same place in people's hearts in Ireland as, as Tommy? Um, I think he's recognised as being a bit of a, a wildly ingenious, to be honest. I mean, he's so... He's so lyrical and so uh, it's so well written, you know, it it, it does come that long line of uh, people that we like to be proud of, you know, yeah. in that kind of skilled, slight, almost slightly kind of Anglo-Irish sounding, um, uh, just that level of artistry. So I think people absolutely love him, you know, and the thing, again, the thing with a, about a small country, if you make it in a bigger country, small countries always love you. So if you're a New Zealander and you make it in America, New Zealanders go, oh my God, he's the best person ever. Uh, Ireland is the same. Australia is the same in some ways. I know Australia is a massive country, but um, there is a level of, uh, a Brit that makes it in America. You know, yeah. a, if you get the mm. imprimatur of a bigger market, the home market always goes, yeah, we knew he was amazing all along. So yeah, no, I absolutely loved him. Loved all his early <laughs> stuff. Absolutely, it's brilliant. So I mean, Dylan will always have that, not only because he's brilliant, but also because he did so well in the UK. Tommy is un unusual in that he didn't do as well as 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 um, Dylan in the UK until probably maybe Derry Girls, you know. But he was so good here. Uh, I think he was that kind of unusual thing. Do you know when the, a band is massive just in Bristol? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. There was an element of that for a while, I think, with Tommy, and then he decided, oh, I'll just do Derry Girls, and and then you know he has a talent to be massive wherever he wants to be, really. Um, uh, and again, Ricky, do you know Dylan? Now, I always say Dylan uh, Moran, but obviously, is that the Irish pronunciation or is it actually so, Dylan Moran? Yeah, so you've gone, I've only ever heard two pronunciations and you've actually, that's a third. I've never even heard <laughs> that. <one. laughs> Which is amazing. <laughs> so thank you very much. So, so usually people in the UK said Dylan Moran. Yeah. Right. Uh, I would say Dylan Moran. Oh, wow. Right. I have given you the third. Yeah, yeah, you've given me a brand new one. But while I mean, we're on it, it's, it's Gary Cahill, by the way, not Cahill. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Tim Cahill, not Tim Cahill. I don't care what he calls himself. By the way, this is, an, this is a podcast extra. It's got another half an hour. Right, Siobhan, Aoife, Neve. <laughs> we, did, we did the names thing last week, didn't we? When we were talking, uh, when we were talking to Ricky about the fact that Ricky isn't Ricky's name, uh, um, and uh, and he, he's Ricky because us English people are just so shit and lazy at pronouncing people's actual names. Yeah. What's your full name, Ricky? My full name is Rukudzo, um Mcinda. So that was my my first name and my last name. I'm just you saying that just reminded me of in who said that like Neil when like um, when we turned on Mark for being um, a racist and, <laughs> <laughs> and you just said you're the only imperialist overlord here. Man. 
<laughs> Sorry, Mark. <laughs> it's absolutely fine. I mean, if I'm honest, this is happening slightly too much. Um, <laughs> well, maybe you need to move from Colston's home city, but you like it too much, don't you, Mark? <laughs> Mark, I mean, building statues. What I would, uh, what I would like to say is, uh, um, I am half Irish, so you know, oh. I, I've got there's a lot of Ke- a lot of it's a complicated lineage, which one day we will get into. But there's a lot of Kerry people uh, on my mother's side, um, and I'll just leave it in whoever those people may be, because we don't 100 percent know who all those people are. But uh, they're all Kerry people, so um, so you know. I feel, I mean, there's no Zimbabwean in my family, so. Uh, ah, no. I thought we were kindred <laughs> spirits. <laughs> um, Ricky, Dylan, uh, Dylan Moran, uh, what does that name mean to you? Oh, I, um, I mean, he sounds lovely, but nothing. Um, oh. I literally, I literally like, know nothing about Irish comedy, like even the basics of like how it compares to uh, UK and like British comedy or whatever. Like how the what the scene is like, if it's if it's the same, like open mic nights, the how you cut, climb through it, all that stuff. Like I am completely in the dark. Um. Okay, so so maybe we should talk about that. I'm guessing that in in Ireland, the big cities. Uh, I, do you know what? I've never. I've, I've gigged in Belfast. I've never gigged in Dublin. I've never gigged in Cork. Because um, there was wasn't there always a really good gig in Cork. I don't know if it's still yeah. there. Yeah, City Limits Comedy Club uh, was a great gig. I suppose the easiest way to describe it is probably Ireland, the Republic of Ireland anyway. It's it's like a city scene in the UK, really. Mm. If you think there's kind of 4.7 or 8 million people in the Republic of Ireland, you know, what's in Greater Manchester? So so you've got your Laughter Lounge, which is like your big kind of corporate-y, um, like a jungler's. Or and a that's in Dublin. That's in Dublin. And then you have other clubs dotted around the country uh, and the odd monthly night. I mean, it, it's been a while since that and obviously COVID has affected that. But largely speaking, that's what it is. So so really, you kind of have to, to make a sustained living here. You would have to, if you were a club comic, dip in and out of the UK or you would have to do you know, dip in and out of the UK, run your own monthly night, uh, probably try and do voiceovers, or the alternative is because it's a smaller scene. If you if you if you could make it in terms of you know building your profile, you know turn turn the whole country into your into your circuit. There's a lot of theaters and art centers and stuff, and then then you can make a decent decent living that way. You know, and when I when I started out, it was you know it was old media. You had to get on radio or had to get on TV. But the good thing is now, you know, the people who can probably sell the most live tickets aren't actually necessarily. You know, there's a gig in Vicar Street in Dublin, which is a thousand seat venue, and it's the, it's the venue that everybody wants to go to. The people who do that most often probably are are Tommy or Dara, uh, but also Foil Arms and Hog. And Foil Arms and Hog built that entirely from online sketches, you know. So that's the brilliant thing that there is a democratization of the scene at some point. I think Joe McNally is doing like. 10 nights in a row at Vicar Street soon or something. Yeah, she's, yeah, she's doing 10. And that's, um, but again, that's, that's a mixture of probably kind of old and new. That's probably a podcast, but also Joanna's done TV here. That's, that's the great thing is that now you, there isn't just a gray man in a suit who decides that you're on BBC or RTE. You know, you can go your own way, which is something that you might want to um, experiment with. I don't know. Are you interested in doing online stuff, Ricky, uh, sketches or 
Mm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the thing is, I, I did give the the old TikTok thing a go, and I did it for a while, got some, like, reasonable success with it. Like, I got, like, 20,000 followers, but it is a different – it's a different muscle. It's a different flex. I, I, don't, I don't think like, – I think, obviously, with things like sitcoms and stuff like that, I think that lends itself – quite well to being doing stand-up and vice versa like i can see how those two help each other but sketches like the quick form short punchy thing it's such it's a different skill it's a different skill and you can be good at both but i don't think that one necessarily helps the other and it's 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 just different because there's no in a sketch you can't build a character you can't build like this is me this is my perspective this is why this is funny because you know me essentially it's it's a different skill altogether and there are a lot of people who are good at both like mo gilligan like abby clark all that stuff but it's like for me i get the much bigger joy from doing stand-up like the dream would be to have a successful podcast where i could also (laughs) do (laughs) stand-up comedy (laughs) as a side thing (laughs) So if you're listening, follow us at OcapMyCast <laughs> on Twitter. But that yeah, was so that. smooth. I could see where you went. 20,000 t- TikTok followers almost instantly. That was, that, was, that was a level of skill and corporate chilling I haven't seen in a long time. It's very God. impressive stuff. <laughs> it is very impressive stuff. But he, you're dead right. But I, I think, and it's the mistake some people make, is that you know when, when they, they become famous from sketches, they put it on a live show. They haven't built the comedy chops from actually doing it live. Oh, an audience will go and see them once, they'll never go and see them again. Whereas mm. if you've kind of, it was, it, I think foil, arm, foil, arm, foil Arms and Hog are a brilliant uh, case study in that they became well-known after they had done lots of stuff and done multiple Edinburgh's. So people loved their online sketches, but then when they went to see them and they got them in the room, they could bring it home and rip it. Mm. And then that just built and built and built and built and built rather than the other way now. Sometimes people start off, do sketches, become well-known, people go and see them live and they're like, okay, well, they ca- this can't be sustained for any length of time. Um, you mentioned Vicar Street. There's a few people who have done their DVDs at Vicar Street. And what's it like to play as a room? It's a great room. It's, it's, it's a thousand seats, 1100 seats, something like that. It's like uh, the best the best mixture of a club and a theatre that you'll get. So in terms of, you know, and I know that, uh, um, you know, topography is really important in a room. The furthest person away from you shouldn't be that far away from you. And I think about a thousand seats, maybe 2000 seats is actually the optimum number of people for comedy. It's big enough to get that massive, big, you know, reaction and, and wave, but it's not big enough that if you talk to somebody in the front row, you know, everybody else feels left out. I often ask Dara about that. So Dara, I mean, I think the last time he did, Dublin, he he would have done, I don't know, 20 Vicar Streets or 30 Vicar Streets or something. I said, like, why don't you just do three nights in, you know, the, the O2 Arena or the 3 Arena, whatever it's called, 9,000 seats. And he was like, because that's not what I do, you know. That's I, I, want, I want everybody to be involved. And uh, he also may have had young kids at the time and 25 nights away from them in a lovely hotel in Dublin. That <laughs> might have come into it at some point. But I, I think it was mainly about the art, to be honest with you. <laughs> Madara would be probably the Irish comic over 
in the UK with the highest profile at the moment because of uh, because of Mot the Week. And Dara is always a really interesting one for me because I remember meeting him for the first time at little gigs in Bristol. I remember meeting him at Jester's um, and then he became a superstar. But was he, is his profile in Ireland even bigger than it is over here? Yeah, massive, massive. Um, uh, he's local boy done good. That's uh, and he, so he has, he has that. He also has uh, at this level of. Uh, we did a panel show here for maybe seven or eight years, two thousand and four to two thousand and ten or eleven. Uh, and there's a real fondness for that as well. You know, I, people probably remember something that was in their head to, for it to be better than it was, you know, you know, I hope it never, ever goes on air again. I hope they never <laughs> rerun it because we all remember every single amazing improvised moment and not those nights where nobody came or it didn't go well or the desk, the guest was horrendous. So he has that in his locker and he also has, you know, the massive UK profile. And like, you know, it's, it's, it, if someone is, is, evidently doing a really brilliant job every time you see them on TV and it's TV in a bigger market, you know, and so you can easily put that in that phrase of, Oh, they were too, they were too, they were too good for here. Some people can sometimes say that about small places. Um, uh, you know, he, yeah, he's absolutely massive here as well. Um, who else is on your list? So we had Tommy, we had Ardle, I threw in Dylan. I don't, so I don't know if he was on your list anyway. Who else have you? Uh, who else have you got? Oh look, he's got. I think he's got an actual written list, Ricky. I have. He looked at <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. It's actually just say, uh, be pleasant to Mark. <laughs> uh, <laughs> don't don't insinuate that Mark Over is a racist. <laughs> yeah. I have that yeah. written on my wall. <laughs> um, in freckles, um, I uh, I have several people on the list who who jump out at me for different reasons. If they're not all Irish, if that's uh, yeah, 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 of course. Um, Sam Simmons. Uh, what I love about because we started talking about you know all the comedy you watch. Do you watch as much comedy as you used to? So the answer is no. But every so often you'll see someone, and the reason I love them is because they do it exactly, not the opposite, but they do it in a way that I can't even conceive how they came up with the original conceit. And I think that's amazing. So I watched Sam Simmons. He's an Australian. Um, I suppose absurd is the best way to describe it. Uh, there was a bit in it where, and he kind of acknowledges this isn't for everybody, Ricky. This is not for everybody. <laughs> he illuminated a pine cone going up a wall that he just slowly pulled on a thread. And I was in bits but i have absolutely no idea at what point on a drive somewhere in his bedroom did he think do you know what's really funny if i put a spotlight on a pine cone on a board i don't even know how he came up with that idea i have no idea of the creative process involved and the sheer balls to go i'm gonna go i'm gonna do it and i'm gonna lean into it i might pretend it's an acorn but it'll be a pine cone and everybody loves it right and uh, I love that sort of stuff because it's just insane. I, I don't know how people come up with it, but I know they have to be massively committed to it. So I'd say him and Hans Taven is a similar sort of a, a Dutch comedian who's absolutely massive, but he has the the kind of chutzpah to go and do stuff like this. I saw him in Edinburgh once. I was walking home in Edinburgh and a friend of mine, there was all these Amsterdam comics at the Tron 
And uh, so I went in and a friend of mine was there and uh, the last guy on was Hans Haven and he's absolutely massive in, in Holland. And um, he just put a sock on his arm and uh, he said, now this is Zaki uh, and Zaki's going to eat this Mars bar while I sing a song. And I was like, how is he going to do this? And he just opened the Mars bar and just rammed it into the sock while singing a song. <laughs> and I, I think I got sick laughing. <laughs> I absolutely love that madness because it's the opposite of the storytelling genre or the slick one-liners or whatever. Um, I think I think David O'Doherty is someone, um, Ricky, you should check out. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. know if you know David. No. Um, Mark will know him. Uh, he's, he, what I admire about David is that he's kind of plowed his own furrow in lots of ways. So he does a lot of 8 out of 10 cats. He does a lot of stuff on UK yeah. TV. But I think, it, it, largely speaking, he built his career from Edinburgh and from Melbourne, the Melbourne and Edinburgh festivals, where he was so good at those festivals, a word of mouth built up. He plays a tiny little keyboard and um, he he could sustain that a very, very healthy, very creative career for a long time before he chose to go into TV. So he's definitely somebody to check out as well. He, he um, so David would be, uh, when you uh, when you have been gigging for a while, you start realizing that there are some people in your school year. Um, and so you have to, I often say this to more experienced comics. I'll, I'll talk to Joe Brand and I'll say, who was in your year? Um, and, you know, for her, it's people like Jack D and Jeremy Hardy and Eddie Izzard. Um, and my school year, because I started gigging in November 1998, as, right. as we've established on this podcast before, was before Ricky was born. And, oh, and oh, then I went Lord. to... And then I went to Edinburgh with Russell uh, for his So You Think You're Funny in 1999. And his So You Think You're Funny year was Josie Long and Jimmy Carr and DOD and was, was David. And so my school year is around those people. So I remember seeing David um, and playing football on the Meadows in Edinburgh uh, with, with DOD around that time. And he's a much more vicious and sturdy footballer than his whimsical <laughs> nature um, would give off, and I and I wonder whether there's something about that. He's an, he's a whimsical comedian, but to be able to to do that, you need a bit of sturdiness behind you, broad shoulders, because because audiences are seeing something slightly different, and so you actually you sh- need to be able to look after yourself a bit. He's saying he channel he channels his rage on the football pitch, and then all that's left is whimsy. But without football, who knows where it could go? I mean, that would be an amazing experiment if we start. Maybe this entire pandemic has been orchestrated just so David O'Doherty has no outlet because we all want to see what his next Edinburgh show will be. Where he, where he oh, it's an art piece where he just it's just a mall shooting. That's all it is. <laughs> No, I, I, do you know what? Because you went pretentious early. He, uh, you were worried about being pretentious. I didn't think you were pretentious. I'm going to go actually pretentious now and say that a lot of those people who take the path less travelled, and like you're saying, you see these comedians who you laugh at and you go, I can't believe they did. Like, where did they come up with that idea? Yeah. You have to be prepared to die on your ass a little bit. And so you do need that strength. And actually, Sam Simmons is yeah. he's a sturdy bloke. You know, he's he kind of he's a he's an Aussie geezer, he's got a big mustache. Um Andy Zaltzman, who um again is someone else who was in my school year, because he was yeah. also in that so you think you're funny, Sammy. Like 
Zoltzman with his big crazy hair and massive forehead and like but doing doing circuit gigs and doing student gigs where often they would stare at him because they didn't know what he was doing. He's a sturdy bloke. He could look after himself. He, you know something, all these lads I've played football with and I'm just thinking, yeah, you're right on all of them, actually. <laughs> this is, I mean, it's, it's, it's a fairly weird um, PhD subject that you're Tim getting Key? into. Tim, Tim Key can absolutely look after himself. Milton Jones is an Milton excellent Jones. footballer. Really? I, I saw Milton Jones and Milton Jones and I've seen him and I've seen him, you know, give a little bit of verbals in Kilkenny as well. He can look after himself. And <laughs> I, saw him, I saw him chip the keeper from like 30 yards playing football. I was like, he just, what the, what's that? Where did that come from? One, he's not wearing a Hawaiian shirt. Two, his hair is down and he's just chipped the keeper. This is the maddest, this is the maddest <laughs> thing I've ever seen. But here's, do you know who's in my year, Mark? Um, I did a, one of the new act competitions and I was second last on, I think, and I did well. I had done other ones and I hadn't done that well and I did well and I was like I've done well I'm happy enough I think I think I could get to the next level and a lady came on with a monkey ventriloquist dummy and absolutely tore the arse off the place I I didn't even stay to the end of the night it was so good like she was absolutely brilliant Nina Conti it was it was next level stuff, I have to say. Yeah, she absolutely when when it flies with an audience for her, you just oh, go, yeah. Well, I, there's no point in, in anyone else being here because the audience just lose their shit. Yeah, I just ended up drinking shots with the monkey, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> that monkey can drink. <laughs> uh, Ricky, this is exciting because I feel like in some of the other reading lists, uh with uh, with Jimmy and with Nish. We've given you a lot of American people and a lot of people that you might have seen on YouTube. And, and uh, I can see your face and, and you're hearing a lot of names for the first time today, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Like a lot of names, like a whole scene that I never even really like knew uh, was a thing. Like Irish comedians until I, I, we were like, oh, yeah, let's have Neil Delamere on. I was like, oh, yeah. Ireland exists. They must have comedy. <laughs> it's like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, and now I'm learning a lot. Like But also this is a this is a slightly weird thing. And what's quite exciting for this is that uh comedians listen to this podcast, new comedians listen to this podcast. Um and also and I don't know why, but fans of comedy listen to this podcast as well. So thank you very much for listening. But one of the things that people don't realize is that a lot of comics from Australia and also America, who are now famous in the UK, actually came over to Ireland first, didn't they? So, I mean, obviously the the, the sort of the most famous one would be Adam Hills, who yeah. I think mm. Hillsy was in Dublin for quite a bit before he came to the UK. I think. Yeah, he was actually. Yeah, he he um, he lived here. I think he lives in the down the country as well. So yeah, an, an unusual path, but I think. I'm trying to think of some other ones. Damien Clark, obviously, is Australian, lives in Ireland, and um, there's another couple. All right, it's 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 a it's a handy. I mean, once kind of Ryanair came in <laughs> for all their faults, um, it was essentially it's as easy to get from or probably easy to get from Dublin to a lot, a lot of UK cities when you're kind of coming up as it is from London. So I suppose, mm. and in the same way, um, Al Pitcher lives in. 
Sweden and Ian Moore yeah. lives in France, I think, and they do bits and pieces in the UK. So it's it's kind of it's just made it doable, really, you know. What I like about Ricky is that he doesn't ever pretend that he's heard of somebody when he hasn't. He's he's heard heard yeah, yeah, no, no I've, I've I've heard of them because I mean you'd be you'd be caught out fairly early doors. I would have thought. On that. <laughs> oh yeah, I dread the follow up questions. I'm just saying, <laughs> I am not saying anything. But also, that's that's why I like this feature because I like this feature because uh, we've talked about it before. You've got more access to everyone than you've ever had. But algorithms and YouTube algorithms and podcasts and stuff will maybe send you down a... You, you hit Bill Burr, so you go to all these other American guys, or you hit Chappelle and you go to all these other uh, black American guys or black comedy from around the world. And you and But actually, curating it a little bit and curating a list like this is yeah. really exciting. And so I want to ask you someone, and we will go back to your written list, but when you talked about people taking their own career, mm. I think Des Bishop's career is absolutely fascinating in the things that he has he has done. So, uh, Ricky, um, uh, Irish American comic, uh, come over to the UK quite a lot. Is and I think he still is one of the most handsome men I have seen <laughs> in the flesh. Um, <laughs> But he uh, he made a decision to go to China, uh, like as part yeah. of a as part of a TV program. But but Des wasn't he working in like kitchens in China to learn um, to learn Cantonese or to learn Mandarin to then gig in China? Yeah. I mean, like, there's there's a way to do this, and there's a you know, uh, flew flew to China for a couple of weeks, pretended you lived there for a bit longer, and then you know, kind of came back. Des doesn't do it like that. It, Des is all in. If Des is going to China, Des is going to China. Um, I think they've a terracotta warrior of them. I mean, there's there's a level of. Uh, that's not true, by the way. <laughs> just, just, in, just in case, I was going to drop in lie. Uh, to be honest with you, I was going to drop in lies throughout the whole podcast to see if we could catch Ricky out and just name. I was going to just name Irish footballers to see if Mark will play along. Gone. Like Tony Cascarino. I mean, Tony Cascarino's club set is absolutely amazing. But for, but for me, I mean, Robbie Keane is the finest headliner I've ever seen. Just wanted to see if I could get away with that. Um, I just, I also think Packy, I think Packy Bonner is a really strong oh, musical act. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, of course, I call him Pat Bonner, but you can call him whatever you want there. Uh, <laughs> That's what we no, do not get me in trouble um, for this. People in Ireland call, call Pat Bonner. Absolutely. Bonner. Yes, yes, yeah. P A C K I E. Absolutely. That's what he's known as. Uh, I, I just, I just saw an opportunity to to really, really blacken your name. Even yeah, further. no, I know, I know. And I thought I, I wanted, I wanted no, no, everyone no. to know that. Yeah, um, no, um, no, no. Sorry, Des is. Uh, yeah, he's had a, a remarkable career. His his commitment to his 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 original thing, I suppose, that kind of broke him was probably a, something called Des Bishop's work experience. When he went and he did work experience in kind of uh, minimum paid jobs, and um, it, it it was huge here. And he followed that up with he learned Irish. Um, and he learned uh, Chinese as well. Like he went to China and learned Chinese and lived in China for a year or so. And I think, and you should look this clip up. I think he was on Take Me Out, but <laughs> in China. And it was like, it was 20 million people or something. So and he did it in, uh, I think Mandarin, I'm not sure. So his he's had a remarkable 
career progression. Um, but in that 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 when he's committed to a project, you like you're gonna get a hundred percent. You know, you're going to see somebody who wants to do this. Audiences, audiences in TV audiences are live audiences. I think are really, really, really bright. They're really intuitive. So if you are phoning it in. They just know. They might not know why they know, but they know. They go, this isn't real. This is this is just fake. Um, like we are programmed to understand non-verbal communication all the time. So if you see something on TV and you, it's fake, you know, in terms of a documentary, they'll they'll they, they'll they'll know. And if they if they know you don't believe in it, sure, why should they? Mm. So everything that he's done in those ones, um, that's why they've been popular. I think one of the reasons they've been popular, anyway. Um, who else do we? Uh, who else do we have? Because I know we've we've had you for a while, and there's so many uh, amazing comics. You mentioned Deirdre Kane uh, earlier, um, an amazing stand-up. But there's also quite a big, there's a bigger s- sketch or non-traditional stand-up vibe in Ireland. I think I'm I'm thinking he's a traditional stand-up, but no, he's a stand-up, but not a traditional stand-up. Someone like Jason Byrne, for instance. Oh yeah, wouldn't I mean, be she... your traditional setup punchline comedian. No, I saw Jason Byrne once. Jason Byrne, <laughs> this is the thing I remember from Jason Byrne. I saw him in Edinburgh once, right? And th- in, th- in terms of, do you know, you know that Billy, isn't that Billy Connolly? He said, you know, there's a difference, or maybe it's attributed to him. Funny people saying things and people saying funny things are two different things. And Jason Byrne is a funny person saying things. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, I once saw Jason Byrne, I mean, it's 15 years ago, at Edinburgh, say to an audience, um, I'd love to go up to the guy who's standing outside in the in the bearskin hat outside Buckingham Palace and go, is the Queen in? Is the Queen in? Is the Queen in? Is the, is the, is the Queen in? He did it 120 times. I counted. Because <laughs> he used to do it every night. And I went, I have to see how long he can do this for. And he just... It, it starts off funny, then it becomes really, really not funny anymore. And then he commits to it so much that it becomes hysterical. I mean, I mean, genuinely, what the fuck is this guy doing? This is ridiculous. Why are we all on board with this? Oh, he's continuing. He has to stop soon. He's no, he's he's going, and there's another 40 of these to go. So, like Jason has a thing. If he gets an audience in a role, I've never seen any audience. You know, in terms of the momentum that he can build, I've never seen any audience respond to it. Deirdre's, Deirdre, I'm glad you mentioned Deirdre because, I mean, I have, an, I have an awful soft spot for Deirdre. Like, she has done loads of things brilliantly well. She's a great actress. She's been in Moon Boy. She's a brilliant comic actress. She was in Paths to Freedom here, which is the kind of thing that was maybe 20 years ago. Brilliant comic actress in that as well. And when I was in uh, an RT comedy award, she was one of the judges and she put me through to the final. Because mm. Conti was nowhere to be found, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> she was over there in London. Um, so, yeah, she's definitely somebody you should check out. Check out Paths to Freedom as well. And she's the person who got, kind of got me into it now. And it's weird because you, you become friends with these people after you don't know them at the start. And then suddenly after a few years, you kind of get to know them. I always thought that was a bit of a strange thing. About uh, Ricky, we are, giving you, we are giving you the list of all lists today. Um, yeah. And... I don't know how many more you got, but I want to throw in just because uh, we talk about seeing Jason Byrne in Edinburgh. Um, I saw Andrew Maxwell um, at a late show in Edinburgh once do one of the most amazing things I have ever seen any comedian do. It was at Old Rope. It was at one o'clock in the morning. 
um, he definitely wasn't sober. And he did <laughs> an hour and a bit where he did a Billy Connolly routine as if Billy Connolly was Billy Connolly back in the se- early 70s, um, living in Glasgow, talking about old Billy Connolly stuff, um, working on the shipyards, doing all that sort of stuff. And then he would do that impression as if Billy Connolly was doing routines about what it's like being Billy Connolly now, living in LA, having a Puerto Rican gardener. Um, And he flip-flopped between these impressions, improvising old Billy Connolly material and doing new Billy Connolly material. And it was just like, what should a comedian that confident and that funny was just amazing. I mean, I've I've seen him do it opposite me on panel shows. I've seen him, I've seen him, you know, wing things to the, a, a level that you just think is is brilliant because his his characterizations, like this, is one of the gifts that some stand ups have and some don't. Maxwell can do nearly any accent, so therefore mm. he can inhibit nearly any character. And um, I mean, there's a few that he's not allowed to anymore, um, <laughs> <laughs> but like. I remember we had a guest, right? So we did this we did this panel show, right? And we were meant to have this surfer guest. And uh, we took her out around the country because it had been very successful on TV and we did we did little venues in the country, or big venues in the country. And uh, this surfer guy didn't turn up. So we just said to Maxwell, will you just be him? So Maxwell played this American surfer dude, some world champion. And Maxwell jumped up. He was like, dude, delighted to be here. <laughs> and jumped up on an ironing board because he's the only man who's not heavy enough for the ironing board to collapse. And then did the whole interview inhabiting this stone surfer LA vibe, standing on top of an ironing board in rural <laughs> Ireland, in County Clare. And the audience just went, ah, oh, it's Maxwell. Yep, yeah, I'm absolutely going to buy this. So, yeah, I mean, he's he's extraordinary. I can't believe I kind of overlooked him. Yeah, no, he's uh, he's incredible. Um, Ricky, I'm aware, I, I love this one because it's so out of your comfort zone. Um, is there... Uh, is there anything else that you want to ask? Is there, are there any other Irish comedians that you could think of in your head that we haven't talked about? Don't Google Irish comedians. Oh, me? I can see you. Yes, I am. Oh, oh, sure. Okay. I mean, the only thing I have to add to that is I can confirm Des Bishop is gorgeous. <laughs> he is. He is delicious. Um, <laughs> well, well, I feel terrible now. I've given you a list of some of the best of my countrymen and women's talent, and you've just gone. That American guy's hot. <laughs> um, hey, uh, uh, Neil, I imagine if you feel terrible, God knows how Aiden feels. Um, <laughs> he's a handsome dude as well now. Come on. His, his brother is also a stand-up uh, and runs. Does he still do the international? Does he still? Yeah, well, obviously, COVID times, so it's been a couple of years since yeah. he's done it. But yeah, yeah, but he's a handsome devil as well. In fairness to him, uh, <laughs> I mean, when you look like that, you just wander around Dublin. Um, you've never seen this before, have you? Basically. <laughs> Yeah. I really, I really hope that this one, and I hope this with ordering this, I really hope that we see weird spikes in people searching on YouTube because because we can now see all this. Like, you can find that amazing Tommy Tiernan special that he did in the, um, in the garden, which is 
which is a be- is one of my favourites because it's a beautiful thing to watch. And he, mm-hmm. and he yeah. is a comedian Deep that you in West Cork. Yeah. Oh, was it? Is that where it was? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we can see all this stuff. It is now accessible to us. Have we missed anyone? Have we missed anyone? Um, we've not talked about a band man who and Rob Broderick, who does some incredible again, someone else who is an Irish comic who doesn't do your standard, you know, um, set up punch thing. And also someone who looks like he would be quite handy in a fight or on a football pitch. Jason Byrne also <laughs> can look after himself on a football pitch. Maeve Higgins. Maeve I don't Higgins, know if she can look after, herself, after herself on the football pitch. pitch. <laughs> Maeve Higgins is one of the toughest uh, box-to-box midfielders I've ever encountered. <laughs> I mean, the engine on that lady. Um, no, she. She. I should have mentioned her as well because she kind of came up with, with PJ, who was brilliant as well at the same time. And she went to America and um, writes sketches, writes for the New York Times, um, and she has this wonderful off kilter you know it's the opposite of a kind of a shouty late night male club comedian it kind of comes at you slightly askew you're you're kind of wondering where the end of the sentence is going to lead you you know so that's why she's such a great writer as well yeah and so check yeah check her out she's she's definitely something there's there i mean i i don't i could i don't think you can classify irish comedy as uh a, a homogenous thing, you know, no. that we're all like this. No, mm. no, no more than the UK. I mean, maybe I think there's a bit more storytelling. I think, I think there's probably more storytelling. Like, I can't really think of a too many one-line merchants that we have, like a, a Jimmy mm. Carr or a Milton Jones, you know. But maybe that 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 could be by dint of the numbers. It's just, it's just not enough people here doing it, you know. Yeah, do you know what? You absolutely you can't say there is one type of Irish comedy. I think what you can say. And I think it's a little bit like what we have in Bristol is in Ireland, people have more time to learn their craft and do their gigs and figure out who they are and what they want to do before they're shoved into too much telly, too many gigs, do five minutes there, do seven minutes there. If, If rural Ireland is anything like rural parts of the UK, someone doing five minutes the audience will go mate why the fuck are they only doing five minutes <laughs> like come on <laughs> give them more time give them yeah. more space I like, completely there is agree that with time that, on yeah. the ball it, yeah there is that time in the ball it, it's not the massive london or massive new york make me laugh and make me laugh immediately there is a bit more of a let's enjoy this journey together i think i think that's a bristol dublin cork thing definitely Definitely, which is interesting because then you can see, I wonder would some people have developed in a different way had they moved very young? You know, so like David O'Doherty has never moved away from Ireland. If if David O'Doherty moved to London when he was 20, would he be a different comedian, you know? Is that is that a thing? Like, because <clears throat> I hear a lot of like Canadian musicians and actors and comedians talk about kind of the end game moving to America. Is that a thing with Irish comedians, or is it? Are they very happy uh, to staying? No, um, it's hard to know. I mean, some people have moved. Um, I think I think it, it depends on the level. At this stage, I think it depends on the level that you're at and the sort of gigs that you're getting. Um, some people I think felt that they had to move because. Um, because you know it didn't make sense for them to be flying over all the time. Mm. I have I have just figured out a person I have left off the the list that I should have put on the list and I should have put on early doors. 
which is it's going to sound weird because this is fulfilling some sort of I hope this isn't fulfilling Ricky's idea of an Irish stereotype because he's going to name someone who's a cousin of one of the other people <laughs> who's already on the list. Uh, Eleanor Tierney. Eleanor, yes. Somebody I should mention. So Eleanor is Tommy's cousin. But Eleanor, um, like in terms of her writing, she writes for the Irish Times. She is in Bridget Naiman. I think she's in a new thing. I think she's in Graham Norton's new thing as well. Um, she, uh, she, I think she is really, really, really good. Check her out because she, uh, again, she moves a few years ago and I think developed well in the UK. Um, mass, I, I, I think just became very confident uh, she was always very confident but you know even more confident because you know you're playing to people i suppose when you move that don't have the same experiences growing up so once you have proved it to yourself that you can do that you know that's a harder that's a harder thing to do you've not you've, mm. you don't have as much in common with them you know so um that's another layer another step up in your career so she's definitely somebody you should check out i would check out her uh, melbourne sets her melbourne gala sets and also i would check out her and um, she used to do fake cork court reports um on a show called irish pictorial weekly so i would check those out as well she's excellent mm. Mm. Yeah, I've got a lot of people to check out. Oh, you absolutely have. And I, I do think, uh, this is quite interesting because I didn't think this was going to happen, but I do, I am a big proponent of people figuring out what they do, figuring out who they are, taking their time, learning, gigging. And when you talk to comics, we would have a similar conversation with Scottish comics and we'd have a similar conversation with Canadian comics um, and Aussies and the Kiwis because you do learn, you develop better if you're not in the spotlight all the time because you're, you're doing what you want to do. You're learning what you mm. want to do. Russell, when Russell first, Russell first moved to London for a bit and then came back, Russell Howard, and all those people in London thought that they were seeing a comic who had been gigging for a year, but he'd actually secretly been gigging in Bristol for three years. So he was better than they, than they realised. Um, because he'd had all that time, you know, fucking about in the West Country. Yeah, you, you land kind of fully formed, you know, and um, uh, and you have a bit more of a sense of how you want to do it. As you said, you've, you've kind of developed. So, yeah, I, th- I think I think but you can't. That's the, the plus side of it. The downside of it is a lot of the time you don't have as much experience on stage in yes. a smaller place you, you just can't get that stage time mm. I remember like in my first year first year 18 months I probably did 50 gigs you know you might do one a week you know and then you, you'd meet a fellow from London and he had done 50 in 10, 10 weeks so I think yeah. a lot of the, you know at, at, cer- at certain points it's very handy to put that into practice I suppose but listen it swings and roundabouts isn't it yeah, yeah and there's downsides to London too as well and even like New York like um, in London a lot of like, the quality of the shows ranges especially at my level like at the open mics like most open mics in London are like bringer shows where you have to bring someone else to essentially form the audience so everyone there is a friend of the comics and stuff like that but I don't think I've done a single bringer show in Bristol I think the re- what we were, we're learning from this podcast and all the other podcasts is that you should watch loads of comedy but just be a doctor this is insane (laughs) (laughs) that's what this is just me making the decision to be a doctor (laughs) i love it i love it when these people come on uh they do the reading this but actually they're just coming on to give you careers advice which is (laughs) 
Don't fucking do it, mate. Don't do it. Yeah. This uh, show, this sh- this whole show should be called "Don't Make the Same Mistakes We Made." That's what this, <laughs> this podcast should be called. Uh, oh, um, oh yeah, I put my face back on to say goodbye. Um, it doesn't. It looks like I'm wearing. Uh, it looks like I've been on a gap year, and I'm wearing <laughs> a, a, like I've lost the a shark's tooth. On my necklace. Yeah. yeah, like a rope. Go on, tell us about your adventures in Goa, Mark. <laughs> anyway, I went to this uh, this full moon party, and it was uh, <laughs> the moon was full. Um, it's it's the only time I've really understood yoga. <laughs> <laughs> um, I need to tell you all about this music. The the drums were just <laughs> incredible. Um, uh, Neil, thank you. I genuinely think that this one, uh, this is another one of those where I just need to go off and listen to it all again. I need to find what's on Spotify. I need to find what's on YouTube. And I just need to kind of just, yeah, because all of these people that we're talking about are people that I I absolutely, and comedy in Ireland, there's something that I saw in Ireland that I've never seen anywhere else, which is at the at the height of Father Ted, I was uh, I went over to see my nan who lived in Kalani, in uh, the southwest of Ireland, and uh, I wanted to to nip out on my own and have a walk. So I went for a walk, went to a pub, had a drink, and uh, I don't know what time it was. It was probably nine o'clock or half past nine. Um, all these screams came down in this pub, and it was like the football was just about to start but they were putting Father Ted on and everyone in the pub <laughs> watched Father Ted for half an hour. Wow. Then the screens went back up and they continued like it was the normal pub. Like <laughs> the joy, the joy of seeing. And I, do you know what? I'm guessing in parts of Ireland at the moment when Derry Girls is on the telly, it wouldn't oh, yeah. surprise me if that happens because the joy of seeing something that reflects your life made by people that you could know. Yeah. That's successful and brilliant. There's nothing like that, is there? No, no, absolutely. It's what it's, it's, you know, that football chat, he's one of our own, one of our own. It, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's something that's been very successful that reflects your life and gives people confidence in, in, in themselves. And, mm-hmm. um, and because as a small in a small country, you know everybody is connected, pretty much. It's not it's not it's it's not that far removed a lot of the time. You know, I actually think it sometimes. Um, I think it spills into public discourse and comedy actually. So I think it's less aggressive, and I think this is. I I don't think it's. Uh, uh, people in a small country are naturally less aggressive than people in a large country. I actually think it's because they live in a small country and there's a weird mm. thing, generation after generation, might know, you can't be that nasty to that person because you might actually know them at some level. It's a weird <laughs> thing. I mean, I'm not saying there's no nastiness. I'm just, I'm absolutely saying there is massive nastiness, of course. But I think it's a different, it's it's not as prevalent. And when it is, it's not quite as nasty. That, but that's just a personal, personal theory, you know? Yeah, mm. no, it's pretty... Um, Thank you, Neil. Um, hopefully, I will see you. Um, are, are you coming over here soon? Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm doing bits and pieces. Uh, it's a bit awkward at the moment because of we have to have an essential reason to travel. But uh, hopefully, in August. Yeah. Oh, oh thanks well, a lot, Neil. Fingers across. Um, look out for yourself, and we will uh, we will see you very soon. Oh,
Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks. Take care, buddy. Best, Best luck for being a doctor. Doctor. <laughs> <laughs>